What's your favourite part of Halloween? Is it finding just the right costume to dress up in? Or maybe you love going door to door and saying, as they do in America, trick or treat. Or maybe you love sitting around a blazing fire with your bag of candies or sweeties, as we say in Scotland, and listening to a slightly spooky story. Hello everyone, I'm Kathleen Pelly. Welcome to Journey with Story. Since we are celebrating Halloween today, instead of our usual omnibus where we share all of the month's episodes in one place, we are sharing a special bonus Halloween playlist of three of our all-time favourite spooky Halloween stories. Oh, mums and dads, if you have a little listener who gets scared easily, you might want to take a listen to this first, just to make sure it's not too scary for your child. So, let's take a slightly spooky Halloween journey with the dong with the luminous nose, the sprightly tailor, and Tam Lin. Let's take a journey with The Dong with a Luminous Nose by Edward Lear. An awful darkness and silence reign over the great Gromboulian plain through the long, long wintry nights when the angry breakers roar as they beat on the rocky shore when storm clouds brood on the towering heights of the hills of the Chankley Boar. Then, through the vast and gloomy dark, there moves what seems a fiery spark, a lonely spark with silvery rays piercing the cold black night. A meteor strange and bright, hither and thither the vision strays, a single lurid light. Slowly it wanders, pauses, creeps. Anon it sparkles, flashes and leaps, and ever as onward it gleaming goes, a light on the bong tree stems it throws. And those who watch at that midnight hour, from hall or terrace or lofty tower, cry as the wild light passes along. The dong, the dong, the wandering dong through the forest goes. The dong, the dong, the dong with a luminous nose. Long years ago, the dong was happy and gay till he fell in love with a jumbly girl who came to those shores one day. For the jumblies came in a sieve, they did, landing at eve near the zemery fit where the oblong oysters grow and the rocks are smooth and grey, and all the woods and the valleys rang with a chorus they daily and nightly sang. Far and few, far and few, are the lands where the jumblies live. Their heads are green and their hands are blue, and they went to sea in a sieve. Happily, happily passed those days, while the cheerful jumblies stayed. They danced in circlets all night long, to the plaintive pipe of the lively dong, in moonlight, shine or shade. 
For day and night he was always there by the side of the jumbly girl so fair with her sky-blue hands and her sea-green hair. Till the morning came of that hateful day when the jumblies sailed in their sieve away and the dong was left on the cruel shore gazing, gazing forevermore ever keeping his weary eyes on that pea-green sail on the far horizon singing the jumbly chorus still as he sate all day on the grassy hill. Far and few, far and few are the lands where the jumblies live their heads are green and their hands are blue, and they went to sea in a sieve. But when the sun was low in the west, the dong arose and said, What little sense I once possessed has quite gone out of my head. And since that day he wanders still by lake and forest, marsh and hills, singing, Oh, somewhere in valley or plain might I find my jumbly girl again. Forever I'll seek by lake and shore till I find my jumbly girl once more. Playing a pipe with silvery squeaks, since then his jumbly girl he seeks. And because by night he could not see, he gathered the bark of the twangum tree on the flowery plain that grows. And he wove him a wondrous nose, a nose as strange as a nose could be, of vast proportions and painted red and tied with cords to the back of his head. In a hollow rounded space it ended, with a luminous lamp within suspended, all fenced about with a bandage stout to prevent the wind from blowing it out and with holes all round to send the light and gleaming rays on the dismal night. And now, each night and all night long, over those plains still roams the dong, and above the wail of the chimp and snipe, you may hear the squeak of his plaintive pipe, while ever he seeks, but seeks in vain, to meet with his jumbly girl again. Lonely and wild all night he goes, the dong with a luminous nose, and all who watch at the midnight hour, from hall or terrace or lofty tower, cry as they trace the meteor bright, moving along through the dreary night. This is the hour when forth he goes, the dong with a luminous nose. Yonder, over the plain, he goes, he goes, he goes, the dong with a luminous nose. Let's take a journey with the sprightly tailor. Long ago in Scotland, a wealthy laird by the name of MacDonald hired a sprightly tailor to come to his castle and make him a special pair of trues. Now, in olden times, those trues consisted of a vest and trousers all sewn together in one piece and decorated with fringes. 
They were very popular with the gentlemen back then because they were comfortable to wear whether you were out walking across the wind-swept moors or whether you were dancing a fling at the village Keeley. A Keeley is just a Celtic word for party. Now, MacDonald had told the tailor that if he would make the trues by night in the churchyard, he would get a very handsome reward. For it was thought that the old ruined church was haunted and that fearsome things were to be seen there at night. The tailor was well aware of these stories, but he was a sprightly man, and when the laird dared him to make the trues by night in the church, the tailor was not at all afraid. Rather, he was determined to prove himself and earn this handsome reward. So, when night fell, the tailor set off up the glen about half a mile away from the castle till he came to the old church. And there he picked out a gravestone for a seat, lit his candle, pulled his thimble over his thumb and set to work at the trues his needle flashed in and out of the cloth as he began to imagine what he might buy with the laird's fine reward. So absorbed was the tailor with his work and with his imaginings that he completely forgot to be worried or afraid of any ghostly happenings until he felt the ground all of a tremble under his feet and looking about him, but keeping his fingers at work, he saw a great human head rising up through the stone pavement of the church. And when the head had risen, there came from it a great a rumbling voice, and the voice said, Do you see this great head of mine? I see that, but I'll sew this, replied the sprightly tailor, and he stitched away at the trues. Then the head rose higher up and up through the pavement until its neck appeared. And when its neck was shown, the thundering voice came again and said, Do you see this great neck? of mine. I see that, but I'll sew this, said the sprightly tailor, and he stitched away at his trues. Then the head and neck rose higher still until the great shoulders and chest were shown above the ground, and again the mighty voice thundered. Do you see this great chest of mine? And again the sprightly tailor replied, I see that, but I'll sew this. And he stitched away at his trues, and still the creature kept rising through the pavement until it shook a great pair of arms in the tailor's face and said Do you see these 
these great arms of mine. I see those, but I'll sew this, answered the tailor, and he stitched hard at his trues, for he knew he had no time to lose. The sprightly tailor was making long stitches now, when he saw the creature gradually rising and rising through the floor until it lifted out a great leg and stamping with it upon the pavement it said in a roaring voice Do you see this great leg of mine? Aye, 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 I see that but I'll sew this, cried the tailor and his fingers flew with the needle and he took such long stitches that he was nearly finished now with the trues when the creature began to drag up its other leg. But before it could pull the leg out of the pavement the sprightly tailor finished his task and blowing out his candle and springing from off his gravestone, he buckled up and ran out of the church with the trues under his arm. Then the fearsome thing gave a loud roar and stamped with both his feet upon the pavement. And out of the church he went, chasing after the sprightly tailor. Down the glen they ran, faster than the stream when the flood rides it. But the tailor had got a head start, and he had a nimble pair of legs, and he had no intention of losing out on the laird's reward now. So, though the thing roared at him to stop, the sprightly tailor was not the man to be scared off by this monster. He clutched his trues tight and he raced like the wind until he reached the laird's castle. No sooner had he slipped inside and clanged the gate shut behind him than the awful thing appeared right behind him. With a roar of rage, it banged the wall above the gate, leaving its mark of five great fingers before it disappeared in a puff of grey mist. And to this very day, you can see the mark of those five fingers above the castle gate if you peer close enough. And the sprightly tailor gained his reward. MacDonald paid him handsomely for the trues and if he ever noticed that a few of the stitches were somewhat on the long side, well, he never said a word. After all, the sprightly tailor had proved himself to be as brave as he was sprightly.
Let's take a journey with Tam Lin. Long ago in Scotland, near the woods of Gartahoch, there lived a young lass by the name of Janet. Now all her life Janet had been told, as all the other lasses and lads nearby had also heard, never to enter the woods near Gartahoch, for there lived fairies who had been known to cast evil spells and make mischief for any intruders who dare to draw near. But as she grew older, Janet grew bolder and less afraid of all these tales she'd heard. Doesn't my own father own all of the land here anyway? She said to herself. There is no reason I should be forbidden for going there. And so one day, Janet wrapped her green mantle over her shoulders and headed for the Gartahoch woods. As soon as she stepped into the forest, she caught a strong, sweet scent of roses. And following the aroma, she found herself in a clearing brimming with sweet-smelling rose bushes. She bent down and plucked one single ruby red rose and she breathed in its beautiful perfume. Suddenly, a figure appeared in front of her. So you like roses, said a tall elfin man. Roses that do not belong to you. Startled, Janet stammered, Who who are you? Then, mustering her wits, she added, I will have you know my family owns this land of Gartahoch, and one day... My name is Tam Lin, said the elf man, interrupting her. And I guard the forest for the fairy queen. This is not a safe place for a young lass like you. Oh, have no fear on my account, said Janet. I can look after myself. But if you know so much about this forest, why don't you be my guide? The elf man bowed and said, Very well, come follow me. He led Janet further into the forest, showing her all sorts of wonders and marvels that lay nestled among the pine and birch trees. Amber poppies, dew-speckled toadstools, silver gossamer spiders' webs and clusters of bluebells. The hours flew by and soon it was time for Janet to bid Tamlin farewell. Come again, fair lass, he said as he kissed her hand. And the next day Janet returned to Gartahoch and every day after that, for weeks and months, she and Tamlin became the best of friends. But one day, Tam Lin looked pale and troubled. Oh, what ails you? Janet asked him. Does it worry you that I am human and you are not? Oh, do not let that concern you, for I care not one whit about that. Oh, my dear lady, said Tam Lin. Of course I know you are good and kind and loyal and true. Ah, but I am afraid my burden is heavier than that. 
Tamlin beckoned for Janet to take a seat on a rock beside him, and then he began to tell her his story. You see, I was born a human like you, and when I was but more than a boy, I even became a knight. But a few years ago, I was hunting in these very woods when I was bewitched by a sleeping spell that made me fall from my horse. Then the queen of fairies whisked me away to be her servant, and so I have been at her beckoning these past few years. Every day I guard the woods of Gartahoch, and at night I return to her fairy kingdom. But even a life of this imprisonment would be better than what I just found out this morning. Oh, tell me, tell me, begged Janet. With a heavy heart, Tamlin continued. That every seven years on Samhain Eve, the fairies hold a ritual that allows them to keep their powers for the next seven years. They have a procession through the woods that ends at Miles Cross, and there they sacrifice a mortal to the spirits, and my lady, I am to be the next sacrifice. (gasps) But today is October 31st, whispered Janet, and tonight is Samhain Eve. I... And it is the seventh year, said Tamlin. I am afraid we must say our goodbyes now. No, it cannot be, Janet jumped up. There must be a way to break the spell. Tamlin paused. Well, there is one way, he said slowly. But it is so hard and so fraught with peril, so dangerous that I dare say no more about it. Oh, but you must. You must tell me everything. Tamlin sighed. Ah, well, if you insist, there is one chance, and it happens only when the procession approaches the circle of stones at Miles Cross, where the sacrifice takes place. Only then, for a brief time, are the powers of the fairy queen weakened if you want to save my life, you must hide behind a tree at Miles Cross tonight and wait for the procession to come by. Let the first steed pass, that be a black horse ridden by the fairy queen, and then let past a brown horse. But run to the next horse, a milk-white steed, and pull the rider down. I will be that rider. When I fall, you must hold me fast. No matter what terrors happen next, your good upon me must last. But this will be terribly hard to do, dear Janet, because to break your grip, the fairy queen is likely to turn me into beast after horrible beast in your arms. Yet, if you can hold tight and not let me go, no harm will come to you, and I'll be mortal again, forever. If you can do this, once the spell is broken, wrap me with your green mantle and cover me out of sight. He held his breath for a moment. My lady, that is the only way. And so they made their farewells. 
both troubled and anxious at what lay before them. Later that night, in a gloomy and dark, eerie stillness, Janet made her way to Miles Cross, and there she hid behind a large oak tree. Just before midnight, she heard the tinkling of bridles and knew the fairies were on the move. From behind the tree, she watched the first black steed pass, a horse ridden by the proud fairy queen. Then a brown horse rode by, followed by a milk-white steed. Janet bolted forward and pulled the rider down. Thunder rolled across the sky, and the stars flashed as bright as day. The fairies skittered to and fro in a frenzy of confusion. Then the fairy queen pointed her bony finger to the fallen rider and called loudly, Tamlin! That moment in Janet's arms, Tamlin turned into a monstrous bear, snarling at her and frothing at the mouth. Janet turned her head from its hot, angry breath. But still she held on with all her might. A moment later, the bear became a scaly lizard, slippery and venomous, his red tongue flicking about her face. Janet closed her eyes, but still she held fast to the horrid creature. And finally, the lizard turned into an ice cold snake covered with slime. Janet felt it ooze down her back as the snake coiled around her, tightening its grip and almost choking her. But then, the next instant, it had become a red-hot cinder. Janet felt as if her arms and hands were on fire. But again, she steeled herself and held fast with all her might. And then, just as suddenly as it had begun, it was over. In her arms was Tamlin himself, fully human and laughing with delight. <laughs> Giddy with relief and joy, Janet remembered to wrap him in her green mantle. The Queen of Fairies rose to her full height, fuming with rage and anger. May she die an ill death, she screamed, pointing to Janet. For she has stolen the bonniest knight in all my company. But neither Janet nor Tamlin had any fear of the Fairy Queen now. They knew they were safe from her powers at last. With great rejoicing, they returned to Janet's home in the Grey Castle, where they were soon married in a grand and splendid ceremony. From that day forward, they lived in great peace and contentment, and every child in the land heard their story of how goodness conquered evil on the eve of Samhain.
did you have a favourite story from this bonus batch of Halloween stories? Don't forget, if any of these stories painted any images in your mind, do get busy drawing and send us your drawings to www.journeywithstory.com Mums and dads, you can just paste it into the contact form you'll see there. Happy Halloween! Join me next time for Journey with Story. Music and post-production was by Colette Jonas. <laughs>